On this edition of Orlando Magic Pod Squad, Dante Marcatelli, Jake Chapman catch up with Orlando Magic Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Pete D'Alessandro. He's been in the NBA for now 20 years. He's got an incredible story, and we get into that. Uh, certainly something that you're going to enjoy on this edition of Magic Pod Squad, which is brought to you by the Florida Department of Transportation. It reminds you that fans don't let fans drive drunk. If you've been drinking, don't get behind the wheel. Instead, find a sober driver or get a ride service. Remember, drive sober or get pulled over. Have a great night and drive safe. Pete gets into this recent trade deadline stuff well what with the decision for the Orlando Magic to stand pat and then we get into his basketball journey uh growing up in New York what made him want to get into basketball his career path ultimately graduating from St. John's and then Chris Mullen the former St. Johnny bringing him into the NBA with the Golden State Warriors and tells an unbelievable story that he had not shared before about how that we believe team the 0607 that was an eight seed to beat the Dallas Mavericks well that team almost never happened and it came down to the final minute of the trade deadline that year, and it is a remarkable story. He's got some good ones. He's a great storyteller, and you're going to enjoy this edition of Magic Pod Squad with Pete D'Alessandro. This is Fonz Wagner of the Orlando Magic. This is Cole Anthony. This is Jalen Suggs. This is Paolo Bancaro of the Orlando Magic, and you're listening to the Pod Squad. Hey, welcome to another edition of Orlando Magic Pod Squad. Dante Marcatelli, Jake Chapman here with you, and it is my pleasure to introduce Orlando Magic Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Pete D'Alessandro, kind enough to join us. And Pete, I'm excited about this because I've known you for a while. You've been in Orlando for, what, I think this is your seventh season now uh, here at the Orlando Magic, but I don't know that I've had a chance to get too much into your background, you know, what got you into this whole thing and and kind of what what made you want to get into the NBA? So I'm excited to kind of learn a little bit uh, about you and and uh, talk about this season and what lies ahead for the Orlando Magic. But first off, is All Star break, man? Are you getting a chance to to relax a little bit or no? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, uh, I'm actually back here in Colorado right now, where my son was born and my daughter and and my whole family lived for a little while when I was working for the Nuggets, and uh, they're getting up on the ski slopes. I listen, they're better than me now, man. They're like on the black diamonds, and I'm like the Look dad at of the back. That. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a right, no, we're enjoying it. We're enjoying it. Well, I'm glad you get a chance to do that. I'm a I'm a big uh dental call it the clubhouse. I'm a big lodge guy. Everybody else gets me. I like this right right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Hey, so let's go back to obviously you grew up in New York, right? Uh you're you're a New York guy, you end up going to St. John's, but did you play basketball? What was your? Were you a basketball player growing up? Did you have dreams of being in the NBA? And uh, would t- kind of take us through your your basketball journey a little bit before you got to the league. Yeah, I know Zoom makes me look a lot bigger, but um, <laughs> he's six eight by the way. With my five nine non athletic, for people was like, "How did you get in basketball?" It's a it's a great question. I loved it. Right as a as a young, my first game, in fact, with my dad. Um, is a teacher on Long Island, and uh, I think I was five years old, and it was the Long Island Nets, and I think it was um, Dr. J's first year. I think it was his rookie year. Wow! There, um, I remember they had like um, <laughs> they had like a uh, a sponsor was Dr. Pepper or something, uh, the soft drink, and I remember as a yeah. guy, I called him Dr. Pepper, but I was like blown away. <laughs> I like I was you know five years old, so, and there was a like the Long Island Arena. I think it was called. We were on these hard benches watching these games. It might have been like a thousand people there. I'm watching one of the greatest players ever played. That's my first experience, right? And that, like, turned me onto the game. Um, Listen, like, I had great people along the way. Um, I had a guy in his couch in eighth grade named um, Guy Delacave who played for um, Luke Harseca. 
And I always kept close with, with Mr. Delicate of his past. And he's like had such a meaningful impact in my life. Like you talk about people that impact your life. And, um, you know, and you guys know people come to you all the time. Um, and it's so hard to like take everyone's call and to help everyone kind of get in the industry and what we do. But um, I always think back to to um, Mr. Delicate because he did that. Right. And so I always try to like when I when I think I don't have time, I try to make time because of people like him. He put me in touch with um, Luke Conoseca my freshman year in college because I wanted to do anything. I played 10th grade basketball, right? 11th grade. Um, I, I wanted to work, I wanted to make money. I was on the bench. And I was, so I just, I worked like three jobs. I, I was always working, something I always wanted to, to do. And I did that instead, but like watched as many NBA games as I could and as many college games as I could. And there I was in like Luke Conoseca's office. I'll never forget. I was just like, I, I was, he was like an idol. He had just gone through the final four with like, you know, that Chris Mullen team and, that was like the early Big East. And um, I just couldn't believe he said to me, um, back then, like now you look at these manager staffs, they're real staffs, like these college teams, but they had like one or two managers. And he looked at me and said, um, you got to work one of these. And he showed me like a, a video recorder. And I'm like, yeah, he goes, you know how to cut film? And dude, I had no idea what that even meant. And I'm like, yeah. Of course yeah, I do. Of course. And, and he was like, because I got a guy who's a senior who's doing it now. And you could come in and learn under him and you could be, you, look, it's got to be quiet because you, you're going to be friends with the players, but you're going to be in coaches meetings. You're going to be breaking down film with this crew. And I'm like, it's yeah. so like my first stop is I went to a local video store. I was like, how do I bring this up? Literally, because there was no internet, right? That's awesome. How do I do this? How do I do this? And uh, yeah, so we're like, it's really coaxial cables, really, really, you know, like putting them together. And um, ultimately I got an editing board, which is like this piece of plastic at the time it was amazing and so where we are now when i see our video rooms and these staffs i'm like oh my god but like my education came from you know going to class but really spending mornings with luke Carseco, which to me i i i just can't i just feel so blessed that's about that right think about that getting that opportunity and then you you would cross paths with chris mullen uh, in your nba career which is absolutely yeah. fantastic but what was your takeaway from luke you know coach had um he was like a really hard, like a lot, like a lot of coaches. He was very hard on his guys, right? And I was one of his guys because we had a very small staff, right? And um, he had extra high expectations. But I'll tell you what, man, the man had your back no matter what. I had like um, I led the entire school in um parking tickets. St. John's was a commuter school. That's <laughs> impressive. In that's so. That's something you and Jake have in common. That's. <laughs> Pete, you were doing statistical analysis back then. You had you had the parking tickets on an Excel spreadsheet. That's good stuff. That's right. That's right. Very so um, I I get called in my my car booted. I had no money. Like literally, I think my parents. God bless. I love my parents. They they give us like what they had. Right, it was like twenty bucks sure. a week for, exactly. me, for me and my sister. So we had right, and it was everything. But like I didn't have money to pay the tickets. And I was the reason I had all the tickets because coaches always saying, "Be here at seven thirty. Do that." I got to tell you, know, I've always running around for coach brief and uh and so i go into um the the guy who ran was a former like new york city police sergeant or something he ran the security he was like a retired guy but he was a tough irish guy from new york and he called me in i'm gonna try not to use the words he cussed me out like i never cussed out who do you think you are just because you think you work for because i said i you know i'm doing it for I'm, i work for coach i'm trying to i don't care i mean he up and down like i i'm oh. in i'm in tears like i'm like yeah. How do I not cry? This guy's like tearing me up. He's like, you're not going to get your grades. I'm not releasing the boot. That's it. Leave until you come back here with the money. I'm like, the money? The money? I had the money. Was I getting chicken nuggets out? 
had no chance. I'm not the guy. I, I'm just down in the dumps. I go into coach's office and break it down film. And coach's like, what's wrong with you? Someone doesn't seem right. Now, I didn't want to tell him, right? Because I'm yeah, sure. embarrassed. And secondly, I'm afraid he's going to curse me out too. So I'm like, <laughs> let buddy tell him. And he goes, right, go to your class. I come back later on, the boot's off. He gives me a special parking sticker, allows me to park anywhere on the whole campus, anytime. Nice. And um, and he told me, like, he kind of gives me this pep talk about appreciating my work and, and you know, like, how would you what your work ethic will bring you in life. And like, you know, it, it was always that. It was really like turning it into a lesson for you. Mm. And um, listen, I don't think I've told that story ever, but it's like, yeah, that's I think you're awesome. to go back. But uh, uh, that's who Coach is, right? Like he was one of those guys, he like was always, I was a hard driver, but he was molding, he was molding young men. And even if you were just like a lowly manager, which we kind of were like, right? You just run around getting sure. coffee and breaking down film, but he treated you every bit as much like you were like one of his players. And I, to this day, I see him as just a wonderful human being. That's great. CJ, a couple of years. 99. 99. 99. In January. Wow. That's good stuff. Pete, what is your advice to to young people? Obviously, the the, the business has changed quite a bit since, since those days. But when young people come to you and they say, you know, whether or not they want to get into to basketball operations or just the, the business of basketball in general, what are a few kind of general pieces of advice that you give them? You know, I always try to say, you know, Try to make yourself useful. Like, don't just, like, everyone wants a job. Everyone wants to get in. Figure out a way to make yourself useful. Like, when I was um, when I was trying to break in, you know, I, I Coach Kornasek, I reached out to. I had gone to law school and everything, and I was working in politics. And I was, but I really wanted to be basketball with my love, you know. And Coach said there really wasn't anything, but he put me in touch with an agent. Um, and so, at the time, this was, like, the early part of the internet, right? And so, I was like, what can I do for this guy? Like, what can I bring to him? No one really followed the cap. Like, even agents back then, they would, if the league said you could do it or couldn't, and, you know, there was one guy in the union, Ron Klepner is still with them, who was a wonderful guy who was so knowledgeable. And so he was, they'd allow them to call him and check with him. But I realized there was, like, you know, a need there um, for more information for agencies. And so I just started sending him memos on, hey, I know you have a negotiation for Bill Wennington coming up. Here's some comps that I found on the web. And by the way, comps, you know, now we have all these web. It would be like find a Dallas Morning News article. It yeah. was rumored that the guy made this. And I, I cobbled it all together and kind of like, that. yeah, laid it all. Th- and I, I think like, I think there's something to do with that today. I don't know what it is, but like as a young person, you need to say, how would, and I did that enough that the guy finally, when I told him I, I would answer his phones, he had a, his secretary left. And, you know, I'd already was practicing law and everything. And he said, well, I have a job answering phones. I'm like, I'm in. And I'll you could it. fire me. If I don't answer those phones well, you could fire me tomorrow with no questions asked. I will be the best phone answerer ever. Yeah. And that's yeah. how it got. That's how I got in. And I think you just have to be willing and be willing to work. Mm. How incredible was that? And how important was it for your career path? Because again, you're getting your law degree. You'd eventually get to the NBA, but it was about six or seven years working for an agency. Uh, to learn that side of things, Pete, how much did that help you in your career? Amazing. You know, I think it, um, so many people like me become like, uh, Kind of the guy, like the names on the board aren't real people, right? And to me, like I lived with our players, their family members calling, checking in, like their personal issues. People talk about mental health issues now, right? They've always existed. Players, sure. like there's a lot of pressure. They're young men with a lot of pressure. And and I was a young man when I got in there. And so there was a lot of connection. Like there was a lot of connection and I would try to, you know, be there for our guys. And I, to this day, I have long um, relationships with a lot of our guys that we had back in 
at that time. And um, I just think like it gave me that perspective, like the human perspective. So it's not just salary cap, you know, dealing with our analytics team and strategy and talking to the coaches. It's, oh, these guys, these are, these are, like these are human beings. Like they have, have right. has feelings like all of us, the coaches do. The, the pressure those coaches are under, you know, to have to walk off the court after a loss and have the spotlight on you and try to talk about that loss, right? And we do something that we're even, even like we're under the spotlight, but it's not that instantaneous. I, you have time right. to process those things. And I think like the agency part of it really helped me um, naturally just understand like this is a human business, a real human business. And I think um, it's really helped me that way. Do you have to go back to that? I was thinking about that. The the idea of everybody becoming a value, right? Like I, I would imagine 20 years in, it's it, it can be easy uh, to dip into that. And, and so do you have to kind of pull yourself out every once in a while and remind yourself of that? Um, yeah. I mean, I think our organization and you guys know, like, I think, um, Jeff and Alex and they've done this great job of creating this, like, you know, I'll use the word family cause we all work, we all, but this like really, um, nurturing place, right? Like, so for us, it's a little, uh, to answer your question, it's a little bit easier because, you know, I'm sitting down there having my my breakfast or my lunch, and our players are there, our coaches are there. We're all kind of talking. Hey, did you see the football game yesterday? Did you? And there's this like natural like um, personal kind of growth as a group that we we've had. So it makes it a lot easier in this organization. I've been to a number of organizations, you guys know, and there's nothing like this in terms of like that feeling of connection that we all seem to have with each other, including us, right? Like we all sit down, yeah, like sure. Dante and I'll run into each other and I'll say, Hey, what do you think about this? And we could talk like confidentially about things and we've done that right. and I think it's like that with our players and it's like that with our coaches and it's just such a great like um the whole atmosphere is, has been great and even me greater with the Advent Health Training Center and the way it's kind of like created that so it's a great question Jake but I think like it's a lot easier these days than it was because when you are separated and I've been in places you have to make sure you remember that so you disagree you have to insert yourself into that there's a lot of times I'm not around the team I'm either out scouting or I'm up in my office, yep. you know, with, with Stephen Mervis, the the wonder can get putting together yeah. all the things we're going to do, right? Like that's kind <laughs> of like what we do. So it's um, it is something you need to remember. Well, it, it, you know, people always ask, well, you know, it's you know, if, if you you know, if it's a tough stretch and you've lost nine in a row, and you know, we go on the telecast and they say, well, how are you staying positive? I and listen, it's it's. We love what we do, so it's easy to stay positive. But it's what you said. It's the behind the scenes. You get to know them as people, and they, you root for them. You root for them, and you want them to win. And it's easy to point out, okay, yeah, it's not going our way right now, but it's not for lack of effort. These guys are trying like crazy. We get to see it every day. Uh, I think back, so there you go. You're starting at at, at St. John's. You're with Lou Carnesecca. You go to a sports agency. But somewhere, you know, you, you missed, I think, Chris Mullen when you were there at St. John's, but you get a relationship with them at some point, and he brings you into the NBA and the Golden State Warriors. How does that happen? And now now you're in the league, Pete. Now you're working for the Warriors and you're working for Chris Mullen. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's, it was amazing. Um, so <laughs> credit goes to my wife and Molly. <laughs> yes. um, my wife is, is just, I mean, some of this, I brag about her. She's so smart and she had just finished Georgetown Law and she was working you know, as a lobbyist for American Foundation for Age Research and you know, fighting the good fight and doing all these like great things. And and I come to her, I'm the DC, I'm at a DC agency where Chris Bowen is one of our clients, and I come to her and say, It might be an opportunity for us. And she's like, Great. You know, like, what are you thinking? Like, you're gonna leave the agency? I'm like, Yeah, there's a little catch. 
um, it's coming to San Francisco and your business is not here. Like lobbying is DC where we were. Yeah, sure. And we had a lot of long, hard talks and, you know, ultimately as a family, we made the, the decision. It was the right decision. You know, we always said we do whatever it was that our passion was and then wherever it took us, that's where it took us. And so we agreed this was the right move and um, we didn't have kids at the time. Um, uh, Chris was amazing, you know, cause Chris was, he is still to this day, one of these people who's like empowers you, like you got it. Like I'm man, not just that, like I'm getting text messages from Mark Cuban, my first week on the job because we're trading Eric Dampier. I'm like, I, this is right? yeah, like you said, Dr. Like I'm sitting there going like, I just went from who, who knows, you know, a 10th grade basketball player in this short period of time. And now I'm like, like, but it's like, it was pretty wild. And Chris is That's fantastic. He said, I need. I need someone with your skill set. Um, I don't even know if I had a title at first. He was like, just come in and like the work will be there. And that's how we did it. And then I became director of BOPS and assistant GM and we kind of took it from there. But he is um, like, what you know, one of the greatest people I've ever been around in my life. He's family. And um, I can't thank him enough. I, I couldn't, my career would not have gone where it's gone without him. He was at a trend going from the agent side to the BOP side. We, we know about you. We know about Juan. We know about um, Bob Myers, obviously. But th- did that happen a lot in, in the 80s and 90s before you guys? Or, or or was that something that started around that time? Jake, I think it was more frowned upon. You know, I think there was a little bit of apprehension um, with having an agent come to the team side. Um, I'll say this. It was <laughs> when, he, when I went to the team side, the first team that we were with, Chris, we had like three people, like the whole front office. Yes. It was like Rod Higgins, unbelievable, like executive, who uh, was his most recent job was Atlanta. Uh, Chris and me, like that was in the office, and we had a, a, a team of scouts that were traveling around. I mean, I was like, "Where's the salary book?" There was no salary book. There was no, you know. Now I have to, to explain. Every team has. We have these books of everything. We need to know everything for every team in the league at all times. So in a minute, trade deadline. We can know, like, well, what is that draft pick that they want to trade us? What are the encumbrances on things like that? And none of that. We didn't even know what draft picks we had. I don't. I, I walked in. I'm calling the league, going, and um, you know, Michelle left, which was an attorney for the league, and she now works for the Hawks. She was amazing, and like, she was so such an influential part. I would call her all the time. And Andy, you had to. So you had to call and ask her what your picks were. Think about that. Think about how much that is everything. Oh. It was crazy. Another executive from uh, another team called me and said, "We're so glad this trade deadline we call you, and you guys know you guys know what you have." And it was like that. And I give credit to Chris because Chris, like, Chris walked in the office and was like, "Where is everything?" I'm like, "Well, let's go to work. Let's figure it out." And we put it together. And you know, we had to put it together that we believe team, um, which was yes, you did. Oh my god, it was really fun. We hadn't been in the playoffs in like 11 years, and it was one of the most like it's an historic team. It's amazing. It was such a fun season, but it started with walking to the office with literally nothing and going, all right, let me call the league and see what, what we got here. And I was an agent, so I hadn't come. Like, if I were with another team, I would have walked in with my old salary book that I was my own love. You know, I was I was representing players at that time, so it wasn't like I, I didn't have it with me. So, yeah, the league was really That's it. That's that. remarkable. You know, two things stand out to me about that, and then I, I want to get a couple things on Golden State before we move on to, to Sacramento and Denver and everything. But um, as far as... That over that we believe team, right? So that's 0607. You're the eight seed. You beat the number one seed, Dallas Mavericks. And if I'm not mistaken, did you win 48 games the next year and miss the playoffs? Yeah, that that's that's unbelievable. I couldn't believe that. That would never happen ever again. 
Chris Mullen and I were just talking about this literally like last week. He he reminded me of that. I first goes, dude, remember we won 48 the next year and didn't make the playoffs, and then pretty much got shown the door. I'm like, what? It's unbelievable. This is crazy. But no, it was a 48 win team, and it was a it was amazing. We were a better team the next year, and um and never made but that it. had to be that had to be an unbelievable run. I mean, the, the whole the whole world was captivated because that 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 Dallas team was incredible. But that was when League Pass started becoming a little more readily available. Mm-hmm. People were staying up to watch West Coast games. I know I was, certainly. And everybody was just enamored with that Warriors team. And then to put it to them in the playoffs like that must must have been unbelievable. Well, and the Bay Area, like, just blew up. I mean, absolutely blew up. I mean, it, was, it was amazing. Like, And you knew it was coming because the, the basketball community there, it's much like Orlando. Orlando's got a good basketball community. And it's just, I don't know if you remember how loud. People couldn't believe how loud that arena oh, was. Awesome. Right. And, um... And I like went on every one of those games. I was like, "Oh, I'm going to be on the team playing for these." I went to every single game. Yeah, so good. It was a fun one. Um, but yeah, it, the funny part about that is like we just had trade deadline, and to, not to segue into this a little, but um, you talking about trade deadline and like like this year we didn't get anything done, but just to give a little like context, every team, every team, you do you do a thousand trades during trade deadline. Just sometimes you get one done, and sometimes you get none done. Sometimes you get like a few years ago, you get four, three or four done. Like it, you yes, just right. never know what you're going to get. But I think like that, we believe team almost like, um, almost like epitomizes like what the trade deadline looks like because we hadn't been in the playoffs in like 10 years. Chris was one year on the job. Um, and we get to the trade, like Chris had been working a deal with normalist to try to get Baron Davis. Like we're talking a recent all-star guy yep. wanted out. We got word that he wanted to be, he would, he was a California kid, right? So like, he would have played, mm-hmm. he was for LA and wanted to be with us. We're like, we can get Baron Davis. So like, like this is literally in our second season, we're like 10 years without anyone. We're like, we had a young team. We had like Jay Rich. We had really good young players, but yep. they weren't ready yet. Um, but there was a problem. So as we're working the deal, there's a problem. He's a max contract. And by the way, at that time, I think a max was like 13 million, which it's is almost an average player's salary. <laughs> think about that, right? And so we're all stressed out because we're being told like, by our finance, whatever, like, hey, to take Baron Davis's contract, you're going to have to move off money in the future because it's multiple years on this, and we can't be a tax team. We haven't been in the, play- we haven't been in the playoffs in ten years, right? Fair enough. So, like, you can imagine the front office. We're like, we are comp- with the whole league. We're comp- how do we? Eduardo Nahara, good player, by the way. So it's not like we're sending out a bad. Contract. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sure, sure. Really good player, and there were a couple of teams interested, and Mully's working the phone, and I'm trying to work the phones, and Rod's working the phones, and. At the end of the day, it seems like there's only one real team there, potentially Denver. But we cannot get the Baron Davis deal done without moving Nahara as a separate deal. So we get to the deadline um, after combing the entire league. And we're like 10 minutes before the deadline. It's silent. There is nothing. Right now, this is the point where every team at every deadline has their boards lined up. You're, you're waiting for like the dominoes to fall, right? And so like maybe something will happen and Denver doesn't work out with the deal they want. They... So we're all kind of like sitting back, just waiting inside. I'll never forget, like our head coach comes walking in, and this was his first year coaching the NBA. I think it was his first or second, his first year. He walks in, and we have this office suite, and we're all sitting on the couch, literally like twiddling our thumbs, like there's nothing else we can do. It's silent. And he's like, nothing? I'm like, got nothing, coach. And he walks out. So we're like, and we're just like bombed. So the ball's in Denver's hands. I get a call from uh, the New Orleans GM. He called me. And I'm like, 
Um, we're waiting. I, I got to be honest. We're waiting. I, you don't try to tell them exactly what you're waiting on. You're all, everyone's like hiding the ball. We're getting close up now. I'm like, honestly, like we're waiting on, on, on another team. And he's like, what team? I said, it's Denver. And he's like, it's five minutes to go now before deadline. I go, I, dude, I don't think it's, I'll call you if it's going to happen. He's like, no, no, just put me on holes. So really, obviously he, whatever he had going on, isn't there. And Baron's like sitting, waiting. Yeah, wait. So I put him, I put him on hold. I, in the suite, I'm like, I want to stay on hold. I'm gonna leave. He's like, why? Okay, cool. So I'm going to say there's like maybe less than two minutes to go before deadline. Now we would sync our watches up with the league office back then. It's like before yep. deadline set because right now everything's on the phone, right? But then it would right, right. sync. I'm like, dude, you got like, like 1:45 to go, and Molly's phone rings, and and was, I think it was Kiki, it was someone from Denver. They're gonna do the deal. He's like, you're gonna do the deal? Yeah. But now the way trades work is to get a deal done, you have to call the league office with all parties on the phone, and the deal has to be one person announces the deal to the league, and it has to be blessed by the league that this deal would work. It would in fact work. So they're crunching their numbers as they do it. Yeah. You got to get it all in before this. <laughs> Hold you get a minute of 45 to do all that. Some at less than, it might even be like, it was so, I'm like, Rod, get on the other phone. I got, I got New Orleans on this phone. She, 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 she them, they were on the phone. Call Michelle. I'm going to call Andy. And then we're, and we're running like, it's insane. Like literally, because it's a, this big office suite, there's three officers with like a main office. And we're like, the doors are open. We're, and all of a sudden into the suite walks our coach. <laughs> the look on his face. Because he hadn't seen her more. He's like, I'm screaming, you got him, I got him, we're going back and forth. And What's happening? I'm going, and literally, I, I, I get mine got in second. So you got the Naharo in, in on one phone. I have the New Orleans GM on the other phone, and I get in with another person from the league office, and she tells me, you made it with about 10 It's just fair. Like, literally, that's how close it was. Or the We Believe team doesn't even happen. Like, that's how it is that thing happened. Remarkable. What an incredible that's the true deadline. That's the true and that, deadline. And that's incredible. not... That that happens every year, something like that, right? Or I mean, that's every, not every every team. There's always a team that has some, yeah, something happens last minute, Jake. Always, and they should just tell you guys it's on Friday, and then and then now <laughs> they should make it Friday. Just give you an extra twenty four hours without you even know it, because it just sounds I don't know. That just sounds stressful, maybe even. Uh, but as but as we know, deadlines make deals, right? Deadlines make deals. Oh, it was an amazing. Like it was really an amazing. Um, time. I just I, I don't know. It was like. That was of all the my trade deadlines. That's the one where I might have lost like years of my life, like literally. Yes, doing the right. Sorry, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You would go from Golden State. You have all that success, where, right, with the We Believe team and and all that, and and you're able to become right. Realize what I imagine would be the dream at that point to become a general manager of your own, running the Sacramento Kings. I mean, how surreal was that? And you had some personalities on that team. There's no question about it. But, oh, boy. Uh, what's your takeaway from your time uh, running the Sacramento Kings? Listen, so, like, unbelievable opportunity. And I and I just, every step of the way, I just, I'm so appreciative for everything and for um, everything I had. And and even, like, with Denver to to work with yes. Josh Kroenke and Masai. Like, I've I've had such great people. <laughs> I really have. I, I feel like this path is just kind of unfolded in front of me, and I feel so lucky. And then I go to town like Sacramento. Which, by the way, like you talk about another set, great set of fans. Like the Sacramento fans are unreal, and and yes. just stay like I just love love going back there and just and and being around that that group of just great people. Um, we I've been to, to some of the best basketball communities. I really have, and and so I have to say. But to me, Sacramento, um, it's all about like these little stories, right? Like I have a Shaq story from Sacramento. 
I don't know if you guys remember, Shaq was a minority owner. Oh, that's right. right. That's right. He got a piece of it. Like, I'm like, this is what I'm saying. Like, like I know Shaq. Come on, man. <laughs> that Sacramento was worth it alone. Right. That, right? Like, right, right. But I did, I was really, in, in all serious, seriousness, like, have the opportunity to meet him and spend some time with him. And then he wasn't like um, majorly involved, but when I needed him, he was there. And I remember um, one, and, and I only bring this up because it's just, I never told this story publicly, but I think it's time to tell it because it was just this amazing moment where I was on the road with the team. Um, I wanted to talk to some players. Shaq was in town. I said, Shaq, can you come join me? They could be really helpful. And so we get to this restaurant. Um, they put us kind of like in a really quiet corner because, you know, like, Everyone, everyone would notice me, you know. I mean, it's Shaq. They know he walks in a building. Right. So he did the right thing. They put us in like this really quiet corner where maybe we're not going to be seen. It's a little early for lunch, and um, players not there yet. Shaq and I are just sort of like, kind of catching up on like messaging and what we want to talk about. And um, this woman kind of must have seen him through like the corner or whatever, and she kind of really apprehensively sort of approaches him, um, and she just says, you know, like, hey. Chad, I'm sorry to bother you. Very polite. I'm sorry to bother you. Is there any way I can ask you to just sign something for my son? She had the young son. So Shaq being Shaq and you guys, it's never just like, let me just sign Shaq and say goodbye. He's like, oh, what's your son's name? And the woman tells him and he writes this nice little personal note and gives it to her. And you see her start to like well up with tears a little bit. And now it's a quiet, just really the three of us, the restaurant's kind of around the corner and it's like this quiet little moment. And she goes, thank you so much. Kind of like walks out. Like, so as she's getting towards the, the main area of the restaurant, he goes, ma'am. And he called her back. And I'm like, no one's called her back. And this is like so Shaq, it's so impressive. He's like, is everything okay? I, I just, just to ask that question, yeah. right? Yeah, right, right. He like hesitates. And she finally like opens up and she talks about how she just diagnosed with this terminal illness. illness and she's given a certain amount of time to live. And, um, I mean, really heartbreaking, right? And she has a son and she's trying to collect mementos for him and give him something. And this is like just such a special moment, right? I'm like tongue-tied. Like, I'm like, I got a well, my throat, I'm just like, yeah. I got like, what? And then I'm thinking like, how does Shaq respond? Like, right, right. this woman, like she's opened up to him. This guy like, as calmly, I would say elegantly with this warmth, stands up, he hulks over her, engulfs her in his hug. Literally, like, I've never seen a person hug a stranger like this before. Yeah, like, right. And, like, is like, kind of rocking her and just says, I I'm not going to do this justice because I'm going to try to, it's, it was something like, and he, you know, Shaq's when he gets that little voice and, and no, no person could ever tell you how long you're going to live. That's between every person and God. And I, this woman just, wow. like, was weeping in his arms. And then she just smiled and thanked him and thanked him and thanked him and 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 left. And I said, I, I don't even know what I said. Like, I've, I've literally, I was holding back tears in this moment. Man. And, uh, you know, like, it's funny. Like, I think it's John Wooden. I think it's John Wooden quote where he said something like, your, char your character is defined by what you do when no one's looking. Dude, I yeah. was sly on the wall. Shaq didn't even know I was there. Like, right. I got to see that man's character. I, I've never seen anything like it. And it was like, it stood with me to this day. Like, it's one yeah. of those moments where I'm like, how, like, you don't realize it. Like, we always look at these guys and say, we was on the pedestal and whatever. And they have a huge responsibility, right? Because no one's coming to me or to any 
the average Joe on the street and saying, let me tell you like my, my life and like what I'm facing. Like, right. Because we're just like, but that, that happens to Shaq. Right. And I don't know the way he dealt with it. I just felt like it's a, it's just as, as we, as we retired his Jersey, I'm like kind of so happy for it. Uh, and to be here, I am a member of the Mad and I'm so sad. I wasn't there for that, for that moment. But you know, I, I, this story pops in my head and it's always there. You know, well, it's a great, right. it's a great story. He did that when he came back. He, he, he's friends with obviously Brian Hill he played for and Brian Hill's daughter went through a surgical procedure and it kind of, you know, coming out of it and it's been difficult. And, and he heard that and he tells Brian, he goes, Pete, give me your phone. You know, and he recorded a message, Kim, this big fella thinking about it. And just a, this just heartfelt oh, yeah. message. I mean, right. So along those same lines, he, that's, that's a great story, Pete. I'm glad you took, that's the side of Shaq that we have finally got to see a lot more of here recently but that's that's phenomenal I've, and uh, it was a great night the other night and I know you would love to love to have been here but um now as you look at this team that you're on now right here in Orlando and, and fast forward to where we're at and you're the guy that handles all the numbers and the transactions and you're the guy that makes everything work and you've got great relationships and friendships and networking that helps these deals get done along the way as well um, what kind of place is this magic team in as you kind of look long-term and salary cap and, and where we're at, it, it seems like we have great flexibility. We can strike if we want to, when we want to, I mean, it seems to be in a great spot moving forward. Yeah. I think, you know, credit to, to Jeff Waldman, honestly, like I feel like, um, you learn everywhere you go. And this has been, like you said, my seventh year. And I, I feel like I've actually learned so much from this, from Jeff in particular, and his decision making and kind of how he approaches things and um and 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 also like from the the whole group that he's assembled like david bench you guys know yes you say analytics but he's our assistant gm now and right has right. done has done like so much and stephen mervis who i mentioned earlier who like the, the contributions and anthony parker to bring like all of his knowledge and experience and we have this like group that we we assemble and 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 tunji and and we kind of sit around the table we beat things up and we beat things up because Jeff is that like he is a guy that you don't miss a thing and and I love that love that about him um to a point where like we could sit there and stare at each other for 40 minutes without seeing anything and then all of a sudden something comes out we're like right right and that's why we do it so we spend hours doing this stuff and and um and then we all leave tasked with doing this alone right here and then we yeah. go back and so um, to Jeff, I, I really credit Jeff because I think his process-oriented way um, has now set us up to this point where, you know, everything that was done was done very deliberately and planned out, you know, um, planning out like what drafts we project to be the best drafts. Like you do that when you're thinking about doing a reboot. Like, okay, if you're going to reboot, what year do you want to be not a good team, right? Those, those aren't, that's just not by chance. That happens because you have guys like David Bench and, Merv and Jeff and these guys who know the NDP who know the draft and they, they sit around and they say, hey, now let's make an educated guess of what is the time for that? And then you're looking forward, like what we have all of our picks plus picks, right? We have flexibility these next couple of years in terms of so sometimes the best move is no move, right? It, it is absolutely true when you're developing a team and sometimes it's to make a move and I think the great position that we're in is we can do either. We can do either and I know whatever the decision is, it's, it's it's going to be the right decision and thought out and thought out correctly, and that's because you know that's what Jeff demands of us, and um, and you know he's leading this thing, and it, and I just feel great about being with a group like this. It's like you talk about a team. I've got the, 
I know um, we talk about the locker room all the time, and we it's almost like a locker room with that, right? Like we talk yeah. about, and guys, like to to talk about like the personal stuff too. A lot of the conversation is about the relationships and and the and our players and how they relate to each other and like if you make a move, even a minor one, and pull a player out, how does that affect that? And if you add a player in, you might have a high talent level, but yeah. how does that affect that? When you have what you consider high young high talent level young players emerging. So it's a very tricky thing. And um I just think having the optionality that that Jeff has kind of the deals he's made has has given us gives us at least a chance to make a decision, whatever it is. Well, that's some great stuff, Pete. We can't thank you enough. Uh, terrific job here with this front office, and we're very, very excited. I know Magic fans are, too, for what lies ahead, not only this year, but for years to come with this Orlando Magic organization. That'll do it for this edition of Magic Pod Squad with Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Pete D'Alessandro. We'll see you next time. <laughs>